0: Hello and welcome to the
1: SRB Podcast, where in each episode we discuss Eurasian politics, culture, and history. As always, I'm your host, Sean Gillery. The SRB Podcast is sponsored by the Center for Russian and East European Studies at the University of Pittsburgh and members of the SRB Table of Ranks, who give monthly contributions from anywhere between $5 to $25. You can help support the podcast by going to my Patreon page at patreon.com slash blog or the podcast website seansrushablog.org and click on the Patreon Donate button and join the Table of Ranks. Gorbachev is hard to understand. This is what Mikhail Gorbachev says about himself. I would say that he's more a man of contradiction. In the West, he's hailed as a great statesman who defined the end of the 20th century. In Russia, he's reviled as the gravedigger of, even a traitor to, the Soviet Empire. He had enough vision to see the Soviet Union needed reform, but also hubris in thinking he could control what he unleashed. Gorbachev is also an idealist, born within a system of cynics. And though he ushered Soviet communism's demise, he remains a believer in socialism. So who is Mikhail Gorbachev, this man of contradiction? I turn to Bill Talbman for some answers. William Taubman is the Bertrand Snell Professor of Political Science Emeritus at Amherst College. He's the author of many books, most notably of Khrushchev, The Man and His Era, which won a Pulitzer Prize and the National Book Critics Circle Award. His new book is Gorbachev, His Life and Times, published by Norton. For more of Taubman's work, visit his website, williamtaubmanbooks.com. Here's Bill Taubman. So you've written a biography on Nikita Khrushchev and now Mikhail Gorbachev, two Soviet leaders who attempted sweeping reforms of the Soviet system. What fascinated you about these two men to write biographies? Well, they... They, both
0: Khrushchev and Gorbachev were reformers. Um, Khrushchev went a certain distance, especially when he denounced Stalin at the 20th Party Congress in 1956. But then he retreated. Gorbachev, in a way, picked up where Khrushchev had left off 20 years before. Uh, and Gorbachev did not retreat. On the contrary, he advanced and went far beyond Khrushchev. But I was interested in the efforts of these two men to try to change a system which seemed eternal, both to its um, authors and its leaders, and also to the West, which didn't like it, but was kind of resolved, resigned to the fact that it would go on and on. Um, I also should say on a somewhat different note that all the other leaders that I might have been interested were quote unquote taken by other authors and biographers. Mine was the first comprehensive biography of Khrushchev, and mine was the first comprehensive biography of Gorbachev. So I have to admit that I was attracted to that, the idea of doing something that no one else had done before. And who would you you wanted to choose besides those two? Well, Stalin. I was, of course, fascinated with Stalin, but there have been many biographies of Stalin up to the very this very moment when Steve Kotkin's volume two of his three-volume biography of Stalin is coming out. I was also interested in Lenin, uh, but I was not so interested in Brezhnev, and I'm still not, and Andropov and Chernenko were really uh, not uh, commanding figures. They were both ill when they were leaders. They died soon after becoming leaders. So it was pretty clear to me that Khrushchev and Gorbachev were the ones I should concentrate on.
1: Yeah, and it is interesting that there hasn't been comprehensive
0: biographies until you uh, wrote yours. The reason I think there have not been comprehensive biographies of Khrushchev and Gorbachev is that, well, let's take Gorbachev. I feel more strongly about that. He remains such a controversial figure in Russia that, Most people are either for him or against him. They love him or they hate him. And I think to a lot of Russians who might otherwise have considered writing such a biography, it probably seemed impossible to be objective. In that sense, it took a foreigner like me to imagine, perhaps wrongly, that I could be objective. So that's why I started out to do
1: Gorbachev. Yeah, and I want to ask you about that, polarization and legacy at the end of the interview. But it's interesting, you begin your book with Gorbachev speaking in third person, saying about himself, Gorbachev is hard to understand. Is he hard to understand?
0: Well, I think now, after I've spent 11 years trying to understand him, I think I do understand him. But I think uh, it wasn't easy to get to that point because there are a lot of things about him that need to be explained. I list some of them. How in the world did a peasant boy f- from a humble background in southern Russia who, whose high-flown tribute to Stalin in high school, how did such a person ever become the leader of the Soviet Union? How did the regime ever allow to become their leader, the man who would turn out to be their gravedigger. Uh, when did he get the ideas uh, that led him eventually to try to transform the system and and really bury Soviet communism? And beyond all of that, I think it was very important to try to figure him out as a personality, as a character, because he did things that nobody else in the leadership would have done, or nobody but the two or three people who supported him to the end, Yakovlev, Shevardnadze, and Vadim Medvedev, but they were only in a position to support him to the very end because he put them there. So, and in a case where somebody does what nobody else would have done, you have uh, prima facie evidence that some of what he does must reflect his character, his uniqueness. So, the character itself which is always a subject in a biography, became particularly important in this political biography. And it wasn't easy to figure him out.
1: You say in the introduction that how, and you just said it too, how did a, this system produce a Gorbachev? And in some respects, I mean, given his you know modest upbringing, um, he is a product of the Soviet system in the sense of the like social mobility of the 1930s and into the 40s and 50s. Um, but talk about where he came from, what his youth was
0: like, and what directions did he take? Well, I, I uh, attribute an awful lot of importance to his childhood uh, and to his upbringing by his parents and his grandparents. The, the mystery, the puzzle of his childhood is how he emerges from these terrible times. He's born in 1931. So he uh, is surrounded first by famine, collectivization of agriculture with its millions of victims, the great terror of the late 30s, during the war the Nazis occupy his village, then there's more famine after the war, along the way both his grandfathers get arrested and sent into the gulag, although by some sort of miracle they return. So how does a person who grows up in such terrible times emerge as Gorbachev does with confidence, -confidence, self-confidence, self-esteem, a kind of overarching optimism, and perhaps most miraculous of all, trust in other people? I mean, you would have thought that somebody growing up in these times would emerge suspicious of almost everything, but he trusts people. And these qualities of character turn out to be, I think, absolutely central to explaining what he does when he sets out to transform the Soviet system. I mean, this is a system which for centuries has been authoritarian and decades has been totalitarian. And yet this man seems to think he can democratize it in a few short years. This is really stunning. So I think that those qualities that he developed in his childhood uh, have to help us explain Uh, his attempt to do just that, to democratize the system. Now it's not just his childhood, he goes on to Moscow University and when he arrives there in 1950 a lot of his fellow students who already live in Moscow view him as a kind of country bumpkin, but he works hard, raises himself to their level and, and becomes very good friends with some of the most interesting and liberal minded students in the whole place. The most important of which is Zdenek Mlinas, a young Czech exchange student, who turns out in 1968 to be the chief ideologist of the Prague Spring. That is the attempt to create communism with a human face. So those are examples of his early experiences, which I think are central to explaining his later behavior.
1: Do you have a sense of, I mean, his not only did he go through this tumultuous and violent period in Russia's history, but his family members were victims of it. Like you said, his grandfathers were sent to Gulag. Do you think, do you have a sense of how this impacted his outlook on the system, despite his optimism and audacity in the sense that he could change it?
0: Yes, I have two ideas about that. One is that he learned from watching the world around him as he grew up, collectivization of agriculture and arrest of his grandfathers, that the reality of Stalinist Russia did not correspond to the propaganda of the regime about it. We know, for example, that uh, when he Gorbachev was at Moscow University, he and Linash, the Czech student who was his best friend, were watching a film. It sounds like an oxymoron. It was a Stalinist musical comedy. And in this film, the happy collective farmers bring in the harvest and then the happy milkmaids go down to the store to buy pretty fabrics to make beautiful clothes for themselves and as Gorbachev and Mlinosh are watching this film Gorbachev whispers to him it's not like that at all the only reason they work is that they're forced to work and there's nothing in the stores so there's nothing for them to buy so we know that and then his grandfather the one who is tortured in prison comes home, is allowed is released, comes home, and that evening in the hut that they live in describes how he's tortured. And Gorbachev, who's a seven or eight-year-old child at this point, is listening to this. So how can he not emerge from all this with a sense that there's something wrong with this system, or even though he doesn't fully understand what or why or what to do about it? And the other general thing that I would emphasize is that several of these terrible dark clouds over him by a miracle disappeared for example the two grandfathers they're arrested but they're allowed to come home uh, during the war the Gorbachev family his he and his mother get a telegram from the Ministry of Defense saying his father has been killed in action but it turns out not to be the case his father survives and comes home in triumph and um, The Nazis are in in, um, occupying his village, and the Gorbachev family hears that they are about to be arrested because Gorbachev's maternal grandfather is chairman of the collective farm. So they hide Gorbachev in a barn, uh, this teenage kid. And then just before the family is about to be arrested, the Red Army ousts the Nazis from the village. So I think these miracles, as it were, in his childhood also help to account for his optimism, the sense that if things will turn out, fine, if you just wait. It's extraordinary, too,
1: because all going through all of this would also, like, another reaction would just be to keep your head down, right, and not make any waves, which he, he does to a large extent through his rise in the party. But do you have a sense where this audacity comes from?
0: Well, I suspect, you know, having talked to him, interviewed him eight times, eight long interviews that my wife and I had. My wife taught Russian at Amherst College for many years. Uh, I remember a couple of occasions when confronted with a question like this, he would say, that's just the way I am. Genetics, nature. Uh, So I think he viewed himself as as a person with a kind of natural audacity. I'll give you another example from his childhood which is not just audacity it's arrogance Uh, he has a girlfriend in his high school he gorbachev is the leading actor in the high school theater group she is the leading actress Uh, they are boyfriend and girlfriend and one day he comes upon her uh, in the high school in front of the wall newspaper as they called it which she's editing and he finds she hasn't done it properly so he balls her out And then they go into the editorial board meeting and he chastises her in front of all the other editors. And then as they're leaving the school, he asks her out on a date that evening. And she says, wait a minute, how can you do this? First you bawl me out and then you ask me out on a date. And he says to her something like, my dear, these are two different realms. So this is an example of teenage audacity, which later develops into leader of the Soviet Union, audacity. <laughs> That's a great story.
1: <laughs> um, so Gorbachev goes to Moscow State University in 1950, and he does meet two very important people, I think, in his life. I mean, first you mentioned uh, Milnash, and I, and I want you to talk a little bit more about him. Uh, he also m- met his future wife, Reza Titorenko, who he would later marry. So, what is the significance of these two people in Gorbachev's life?
0: Zdenek Mlinash, the Czech student whom he meets at Moscow University, uh, has written a lot. He's he's passed away by now, uh, and one learns from what he wrote and what others recall about him that he was a kind of idealistic communist. That is, he could see what was wrong many of the things that were wrong at Moscow University and Moscow itself. Uh, But he attributed them to somehow the baleful effect of Russia on communism. That is to say, as a Marxist, he knew that Marx had expected the revolution to come in in, uh, the advanced countries of Europe, not in Russia. So this is an idealistic communist who thinks communism should be better and different from what it is in moscow in 1950 under stalin and that's the kind of person gorbachev becomes too he is a communist he he is a believer in communism but he thinks eventually once he's thought all this through that Stalin has perverted and distorted what Lenin had begun and that if they could just get back to the purity of what Lenin had in mind in the beginning they would be on the right track and that's what Gorbachev tries to do initially when he becomes Soviet leader. As to Raisa, his wife, she is a year younger than he but a year ahead of him at Moscow University. She is in the philosophical philosophy department whereas Gorbachev is in the law school. And law in 1950, in a regime where there was no rule of law, was not exactly popular, whereas philosophy was. So she was a more elite student than he was. And she also was, I think, and I heard this not, I heard this from several people who worked with her, knew her, knew them both. Uh, She's described as a stronger person in some ways than Gorbachev was. What they mean by that, and he uses this word too, is that she was a maximalist. That is, she didn't like to compromise. Whereas he learned to compromise, and will tell you that this is what a politician has to do. So she was she provided some of his backbone, I think. Now some of these very people who worked with them both think it's too bad he didn't listen to her more. But others who worked with them think it's a good thing. He didn't listen to her more. So in a way, these are ways in which both Mlinosh and Raisa Gorbacheva, Gorbachev's wife, uh, affected him as he moved on through life. How did he react
1: to uh, Khrushchev's denunciation of Stalin? I
0: think he was not entirely surprised by what Khrushchev said, but he was surprised that Khrushchev said it. That Khrushchev had the guts to suddenly declare that the that the uh, king, the emperor had no clothes. Uh, Gorbachev says that he wished Khrushchev had gone farther, because Khrushchev basically blamed Stalin, whereas Gorbachev by that time had an idea that well, if Stalin was so bad and he was, the system must be partly to blame for putting him in it's in his leadership role so he would have liked Gorbachev to go farther but then what happened was he at 1956 when Khrushchev gave that speech Gorbachev went uh, uh, was in Stavropol the city near where he had been born in the North Caucasus and he was working for the Komsomol, the Young Communist League and he was assigned by the Young Communist League to go out into the countryside and explain Khrushchev's speech to the people and lo and behold, it turned out that a lot of the people thought Stalin was much better than Khrushchev thought he was and regretted that Khrushchev had, as as some of them put it, sort of hung the dirty laundry out in public. So even though Gorbachev thought that Stalin, sh- that Khrushchev should have gone farther, he quickly learned that a lot of people weren't ready, a lot of Soviet citizens weren't ready for Khrushchev's message.
1: Um, no. Gorbachev rises steadily through the party ranks. He's a a Komsomol organizer, and then he joins the party. He takes some administrative positions. And his rise, and and over a 20-year, 30-year period, he rises from that to the general secretary of the party. And his rise seems to be a combination of this hard work, his personality and intelligence, having the right patrons, and knowing how to play by the rules. And all the while, he's silently critical of the rigidness of the Soviet system, but he knows how to play the game. So what do you, how do you make sense of Gorbachev as this apparatchik and Gorbachev as this um, audacious critic that develops and changes the Soviet system?
0: A lot of Soviets themselves during Soviet times talked about the, what they called the doubleness of, of soviet citizens like them. Uh, what they meant was that they learned if they had doubts and dissident thoughts to sort of keep them to themselves while they behaved in public the way the regime expected them and wanted them to. So Gorbachev's uh, talent for keeping quiet about some of his more uh, hetero uh, some of his more revolutionary ideas, even as he climbed the ladder, was to be expected. I think the thing that is particularly interesting about his climb up the ladder uh, and that I learned only by going to the city, Stavropol, where he climbed the ladder and talking to his friends uh, who had worked with him there and his adversaries uh, is that what helped him was that he appeared to be, for many people, the Um, new Soviet man. That is, he appeared to be the ideal product of communism. What do I mean by that? Well, he was smart. He was capable. He was educated. He was thoughtful. He was incorruptible when so many of the people around him, some of whom we met, my wife and I, and interviewed, were not. They were entirely corruptible. He was not. Um, And so... He appeared to be the, the sort of almost perfect product. And when his patrons, people like Yuri Andropov and Brezhnev himself and Kosygin, the prime minister, when they met him, I think they were uh, reassured that there were still people like Gorbachev, not only in the country, but in the leadership ranks, climbing the ladder of the Communist Party. Uh, we, know that, uh, we know that Andropov liked to vacation at the resorts in this province that Gorbachev was now the deputy party chief of, or then the, the party chief itself himself. And Andropov and Gorbachev used to go on hikes. And they used to cook shashlik over open fires. And they used to talk endlessly. And Andropov talked with Raisa, too. And they even used to sing ballads of semi-dissident bards uh, Andropov, the secret police chief, who put dissidents in insane asylums to shut them up. This was his doubleness. But we learned from people like Georgi Arbatov, who had conversations with Andropov, that Andropov had a soft spot in his heart for Gorbachev. He thought uh, that you know that this, this kind of man they should be proud of, they should promote, and that eventually he should be a leader, if not the leader of the Soviet system. These patrons of his had compromised themselves. They had blood on their arms and maybe even up to their elbows. So as a result of having worked with and under Stalin. So I think they found it a, a comfort and a kind of inspiration to discover a good, decent man like Gorbachev could still want to be with them and want to be a leader of their communist party.
1: Did Andropov recognize him as a reformer, as some somebody the Soviet Union needed to change it? Because a lot of times there's this people make this connection between Andropov wanting to reform the Soviet Union and Gorbachev kind of following his lead but taking it in a different
0: direction. Well Andropov was uh was a complicated person and uh, he could see as a result of being the secret police chief, he had all the information. He could see how much was rotten in the Soviet system and how much needed changing. But on the other hand, he was very cautious because he had to clamber his way up the greasy pole under Stalin. And he had you know, probably come close to himself being viewed as suspicious at various moments. So there's this one quote. I don't remember now exactly where it comes from, but it's in my book where Andropov says to somebody, we first need to feed Soviet people. We need to give them enough consumer goods so that they feel good about their lives. And then, and only then, can we embark on political reforms. If that reminds you of Deng Xiaoping, the Chinese leader who put economic reform first but kept the lid on, I think it should. That was Andropov's approach. And I would I would speculate that he thought Gorbachev shared that approach. I think if Andropov had known what Gorbachev would do beginning in 1988-89, namely, uh, introduce mostly free elections, create a genuine parliament instead of a uh, rubber stamp Supreme Soviet, turn Glasnost into virtually free speech, end the Cold War. In cooperation with the American leaders, if Andropov had known that Gorbachev was going to do all of this, I don't think he would have promoted him.
1: Now, Gorbachev is voted to this into the Central Committee of the Communist Party in 1978, and by 1985 he's General Secretary. So, you know, around seven years—it's it's quite quite incredible. So. And as you said, Andropov was a patron and he had other patrons helping him rise through the ranks. But getting chosen to run the Soviet Union as general secretary requires more than just one or two patrons. So why was Gorbachev chosen to run the Soviet Union?
0: I think Gorbachev was chosen to run the Soviet Union because he was young and vigorous. And most of the other potential candidates in the Politburo were old and decrepit. Uh, there was only one other man in the Politburo of his age. That was Grigory Romanov, the Leningrad Party chief. But uh, Romanov was was corrupt and something of a drunkard. And his name didn't help. Before 1917, it would have helped. Uh, in 1985, it didn't help. Uh, so they had very little choice. I mean, the other people who dreamed of being the leaders included Gromyko, who was ill and old and Tikhanov, then prime minister under Brezhnev, who was old and ill. Uh, So Gorbachev was the natural choice. In that sense, uh, I think it's fair to say this, that the people Gorbachev replaced, Brezhnev, Andropov, and Chernenko, all old and ailing, were not hard acts to follow. They were easy acts to follow. And the alternatives to Gorbachev were not very attractive. They they were not attractive at all, so in a sense, Gorbachev glides into the leadership position, and although that made it easy for him to become leader, I think it led him to exaggerate how easy it would be once he was leader. That is the fact that it. Uh, I I think, I think this the ease with which he became leader, and the and and his own comparison in his own mind of him with the other candidates and his predecessors, led him to think that he would not have that hard a time reforming the country because he was young and he was strong and he was smart and he was educated, unlike all these others. And that, I think, led him astray because it turned out, of course, that it was not easy to reform the country. And when it proved to be so difficult, I think that came as a kind of shock. He wasn't prepared for that. His expectations, one might say, were too high. And that explains why, to put it differently, he he reached so high that, in the end, he overreached.
1: It's almost as if that uh, childhood arrogance from that example you gave kind of came back.
0: Well, he had succeeded at everything until then. He was a star in high school. He was a star at Moscow University. He was a star in the Stavropol Regional Party Committee. He was viewed as a star in Moscow once he got there in 1978. So he expected to be a star as a leader. And he was for a few years. He was extremely popular at home. And he became uh, uh, an international star as a result of his foreign policies and his travels and his dealings with other leaders. And then suddenly it turned out that everything began to come apart.
1: You mentioned a little bit about what he intended for the Soviet Union to have in terms of parliament, freedom of speech. Did he have an overall vision or did he kind of cobble these ideas
0: together as he went about reforming the system? I don't think Gorbachev had a vision of where he wanted to go when he started to go there. He had some general ideas. I think he wanted— Soviet communism to have a human face in that sense he that harks back to his to his best friend at Moscow University Mlinosh who tried to create communism with a human face in Czechoslovakia Uh, I think he he understood that he was trying to democratize the Soviet Union in the end I think even before he was ousted he had become in effect a Western-style social democrat, Um, but he also remained a Marxist, and he knew a lot more about politics than about economics. And so although part, I think, of his vague vision of, of the future was to turn a command economy into a market economy, he had doubts about the excesses of a market economy. And so he was afraid of raging inflation. And unemployment and on the two or three occasions when people conf- uh, confronted him provided him with concrete plans to create a market economy one of the plans was called 500 days in 1990 because they had hoped though they promised to create a market economy in 500 days when Gorbachev was confronted with these plans he began to worry about their excesses so to put it Uh, Briefly, he didn't have a detailed plan. He had some some, very ambitious ideas of where he wanted to go. He was much clearer about the political democratization that he wanted to promote than the marketization of the economy that he also wanted to promote. He was also much clearer about wanting to end the Cold War in cooperation with the West. So it's a mixed bag. He had a mixed bag of ideas. Some were clearer than others. Some were more, um, um, some, some were more open to, uh, he had a clear idea of how he wanted to get there. It, it's, a, it's a very complicated picture. I think it exaggerates it to say, the truth to say he knew exactly where he wanted to go, but it also is wrong to say he made it up entirely as he went along. There's a coup attempt against him,
1: August 1991, and everything unravels and the system finally collapses. But rather than have you explain why there was a coup and how it happened, how does Gorbachev understand the coup against him and the collapse of the Soviet Union?
0: The first thing to say about Gorbachev and the coup against him in August 1991 is that he didn't expect it, even after he was warned by several people, including George H.W. Bush, President Bush, through Ambassador Matlock. When Matlock said the Americans had picked up signs of a coming coup, Gorbachev brushed it off, made light of it. Then, of course, it happened. Uh, and he understood it to be an attempt by the die-hard communist hardliners to stop the clock and turn it back to the old ways. Uh, and he held out against it. He refused to go along with them as, as they had hoped he would. He was saved in the end by the people of Moscow, in particular, many of them who came out to stop the the takeover by the hardliners. And he was saved by Boris Yeltsin, who climbed on a tank and led the resistance to the coup. And when it was over, I think Gorbachev thought he had a clear path ahead. Now the, the hardliners had been defeated and he could resume the march toward a reformed, democratic, genuinely federal Soviet Union. But that was a mirage. He no longer had the power to do that. The republics were back; had climbed up on their hind feet, many of them, and wanted independence or autonomy. Yeltsin now was full of himself and his potential to become the Soviet leader. So when Gorbachev tried to, to resume the path of reforms after the coup, it turned out he didn't have the backing. He didn't have the leverage. He didn't have the constituency. He didn't have the institutions. And it was really only a matter of time until he had to leave the stage.
1: Do you think, I mean, not only did he miscalculate the, the emerging coup against them, but do you think he also miscalculated how far, like the reforms he was putting forward had gone beyond him? that he had, he had unleashed or allowed things to change in the Soviet system that he couldn't control anymore, and he miscalculated how far things had gone or how it resonated within Soviet
0: society. Yes, I think Gorbachev miscalculated how far his reforms had gone. Uh, in, the, in the euphoria after the coup failed, he said things like, now we see how much society has changed. And he meant that in a good way. That, that is to say that the people of Moscow had come into the streets to stop the KGB, ready to fight the, 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 the police and even the armed forces if necessary. So he took heart in how much things had changed. But the other side of those changes was that he had unleashed forces who wanted to go far beyond him. That is, Yeltsin and the radical Democrats, uh, who were quite numerous uh, thought Gorbachev had not gone far enough, not gone fast enough, had been too tied to the old hardliners, uh, and so in effect, uh, what Gorbachev had unleashed forces that overwhelmed him in the end. Uh, even though in the uh, aftermath of the coup, he thought those forces had saved him and his project.
1: In your conversations over with him over the years, did you did he give you a sense of like of how did he regard the collapse of the Soviet system? Did he see it as a tragedy? Did he see it as a blessing? Did he just see it as, you know, history going in a particular direction? How does he reflect on his time and his role and the collapse of the system itself?
0: Well, we know that that, uh, the current president, Vladimir Putin, has characterized the collapse of the Soviet Union as the greatest geopolitical tragedy of the 20th century. I think, although I, Gorbachev didn't quite use these words in our conversations with him, I think he also regards the collapse of the Soviet Union as a tragedy. Uh, he regards the collapse of the Soviet Union which he was reforming and which had been partially reformed by, as a result of his efforts. The collapse of that Soviet Union as a moral, social, political catastrophe, that is to say he was a believer in the internationalism of the Soviet Union. He was a believer in a country which could combine within its borders, Estonians on the Baltic in the West and Uzbeks on the Baltics in the in Central Asia. Uh, he thought that was a wonderful thing in so far as it had worked. And he was actually blinded by his faith in that, uh, blinded to the signs that this empire as others have called it was coming apart but you know the thought that after the soviet union collapsed so many people would find themselves outside the borders of the republics with which they identified ethnically russians in central asia ukrainians in russia and all the rest uh, and that they would uh i think he viewed that as a as a tragedy so this is very very different from putin's sense of a geopolitical tragedy in which an empire has been lost, a superpower, the Soviet Union has been reduced to a basket case. Uh, I don't think that's Gorbachev's view at all. This issue of the loss of this
1: moral, um, you know, this, there's some positive things you could say about the Soviet system in the sense of this internationalism, this moralism, this quest for equality. Uh, it's interesting because he's kind of the last of the 20th century to believe in this. So in the last 25 years what has Gorbachev been doing and does he still uh, hold these views of essentially European social democrat and what is his life like?
0: Gorbachev's life since he was forced out of office in December 1991 has been uh, a mixed bag for him. I mean there have been some great satisfactions. Uh, He has toured the world giving talks. He's been hailed in the West. He's been paid a lot of money for his talks which he's used to uh, sustain and finance his foundation since the state doesn't do that. Um, But he's also seen his hopes that first Yeltsin and then Putin would continue uh, to try to democratize the Soviet Union. He's seen those hopes dashed. Uh, he was never all that confident in Yeltsin. I think he probably in his heart expected the worst from Yeltsin and thinks that's exactly what he got. And when Putin came in in 2000, Gorbachev actually supported his candidacy for president and seems to have concluded that Putin was, at, uh, concluded at that time, that Putin was a Democrat. Even though in the beginning, Gorbachev approved of what he called a certain degree or a certain dose of authoritarianism, which Putin applied. Now, why would Gorbachev approve of that? Because I think Gorbachev had sort of learned a lesson. He had tried to democratize this country in a few short years, only to see the country collapse. I think he now realized that it would take, as he put it, it might take decades for Russia to become fully democratic in fact in one in one of his statements some years ago he said it might take the entire 21st century for russia to become fully democratic well if that's the case then putin's authoritarianism doesn't look so terrible at least in the beginning but as time went by gorbachev became more and more disillusioned with putin criticizes him criti- he said things like the Putin's political party, United Russia, reminds him of the Soviet Communist Party under Brezhnev. Uh, So he got more and more critical, uh, but not as critical as one might have expected. He continues to trust Putin up to a certain point, and that raises the question why. I dare say some of that is the result of Gorbachev's effort to try to preserve his influence if there is any, with the president of his country. After all, Yeltsin hated Gorbachev's guts and vice versa. And so Gorbachev, for the first 10 years after he's ousted, is treated with condescension and disrespect and venom by the president of his country. So when Putin comes in, he hopes that this new president will credit him, Gorbachev, for what he's done uh, and he's trying to some extent remain on Putin's good side. On the other hand, in 2011 and 12, when you'll remember there were demonstrations in the streets of cities protesting the way Putin had rigged some of the elections in 2011 and 12, Gorbachev immediately, uh, his hope sprang up again. Well, maybe democracy's coming again. Maybe I was wrong to expect it would take decades or the whole 20th, first century. So every time there's a glimmer of hope that democracy is on the march again in Russia, Gorbachev is elated. Uh, But unfortunately, those glimmers of hope are
1: no more than that, just glimmers. It's fascinating. He still remains an optimist. And that makes me wonder, you know, as you said, Russia Russia has been authoritarian for a very long time. So, did you get a, in your conversations with Gorbachev, did you get a sense of how he places himself in Russian history, how he understands Russian history, and despite the fact that he has this optimism?
0: One of the things Gorbachev will say, I don't think he coined this phrase, but he got it from elsewhere, is that there are no happy reformers, by which he means that reformers who try to change things. Uh, usually end up either being replaced by revolutionaries or reactionaries. Um, So he understands that he is not popular, that he is, in fact, despised probably by the majority of his own countrymen. Uh, He can't be happy about that, even though his most recent book, uh, which came out a few months ago, is called I Remain an Optimist. So he must understand That in Russian history, he is the outlier. He is the exception. He is the one who tried to break with centuries of authoritarianism and decades of totalitarianism. And that that proved very difficult to do. So he probably, you know, he thinks he accomplished a lot. He thinks he set the stage. He thinks he elaborated the framework to which they can eventually return. He's proud of all that. Uh, But I think he understands that he uh, is going down in Russian history in the minds of many Russians as far from heroic, but rather, in a way, the man who, in trying to save the Soviet Union, eventually destroyed it. And finally, um, as you noted
1: in the beginning and just restated now that Gorbachev is despised in Russia, and he's hailed abroad. So it's a very polarization of, you know, his memory, his legacy, and opinions about him and what he did. Given this polarization, uh, what do you think his legacy is?
0: Well, if if Russia ever does get back on the path to democracy, whether in decades or a century, or maybe by some miracle even sooner, uh, I think. Russians, as well as the West, will look back at, on Gorbachev as the founder, the one who began that process. It's even the case now, I think I haven't kept up entirely in the last few months, especially with public opinion polling. But Gorbachev is, I, th- I think, his, the people who rate him highly on Russian public opinion polls tend to be younger rather than older. Not the people who suffered through the collapse of the Soviet Union, but the people who have benefited in one way or another from that collapse and the emergence of a somewhat more open uh, society. Um, we know that the people uh, that in the people in Moscow and Saint Petersburg have been the ones who seem to be least happy with Putin and his authoritarianism so one could say that there are signs already of the possibility that new generations and especially more educated people will eventually come back to some version of Gorbachev's vision and his legacy but i'm afraid it's going to take a long time it's going to be very slow in the smaller cities infinitesimally slow in the in the countryside and it may never may never happen I mean it depends on one's mood if you're pessimistic you can wonder whether Russia will ever benighted Russia will ever become a democracy and I think you know that it, it depending on how Russia turns out Gorbachev will either seem uh, the man who inspired the change that eventually came about or perhaps the man who uh, misunderstood his own country, tried to save it, and eventually considered, uh, contributed to its destruction.
1: You know, it's interesting, going back to this comparison between Khrushchev and Gorbachev, uh, and this one last question, both of these men who tried to reform the system are also the ones who are the most unpopular. Why do you
0: think so? Well, the... Let let me tell you, uh, let me cite an example of things that Gorbachev did f- for which he is unpopular. Um, some of the people who dislike him will say things like, he listened. And others will say, or maybe some of the same people will say, he changed his mind. I think what this points to is that Russians still are attached to, if not addicted, to strong-hand leadership, as they sometimes call it. This is what the country has almost always known, except for ten, seven chaotic months or so in 1917 and Gorbachev's six years. Uh, the Russians regret the loss of an empire. They regret the loss of uh, of, what they call periyotik, Order. They want law and order, but they want order more than law. And so people like Khrushchev, in who in his erratic way tried to move toward a different kind of leadership, and Gorbachev, who full force adopted a different style of leadership, don't go over well in the end in that country. Both of them also talked a lot. Uh, talk too much for their own good in Gorbachev's case I think trying to explain himself to his people you know compare him to Stalin who didn't talk much and when he talked he really meant business or even Putin who for the most part is much more laconic although he does go on for hours once a year in a televised uh, in a telethon so I'm afraid that Gorbachev and Khrushchev Uh, went against the Russian grain when it came to the style of leadership in addition to all the other things that they were, that were held against him. Khrushchev sent those missiles to Cuba, that was viewed as harebrained scheming but Gorbachev and, and Khrushchev went against the grain of what you might call Russian political culture and until that grain changes I'm afraid that future leaders who try to follow their path will run the same risk of, again, going against the same grain. That
1: was William Taubman, the Bertrand Snell Professor of Political Science Emeritus at Hamhurst College. He's the author of many books, most notably of Khrushchev, The Man in His Era, which won a Pulitzer Prize and the National Book Critics Circle Award. His new book is Gorbachev, His Life and Times, published by Norton. For more on bill taubman's work visit his website williamtaubmanbooks.com i'm your host sean Gillery and this is the srb podcast the srb podcast is sponsored by the center for russian and east european studies at the university of pittsburgh and listeners like you if you enjoy this podcast and want to help support it please take a moment to share it on facebook and twitter like my facebook page sean's russia blog write a review or recommend the show to your friends the SRB podcast comes cheap, but it's not free to make. You can help support it by joining the table of ranks at seansrussiablog.org. Thank you to all my high excellencies, high wellborns, and noblenesses for your continued patronage. You can find past shows on iTunes and SoundCloud, or you can download them directly from seansrussiablog.org as well. Until next time, bye!